takes a ton of time. And I, I think it also takes a ton of like challenging, insecure, what am I doing? This is painful moments. And I think that that's the part that people, you know, like they can see me as like, well, you launched your album, you like did it for real. Now you're just a singer and you have this marketing and like, you just don't know about like the six years of like therapy and security, like, you know, the low moments, like really just having to confront those painful parts of yourself, the things you don't like. You only see the shiny, you know, output. Hello, and welcome to The Art of Lost and Found, a podcast all about the process of creative recovery. From those low lows to the high highs, this podcast explores what it means to be a truly creative person and how creativity is a superpower that we all have that we can use for our own well being and transformation. I'm your host, Brooke Esten. In today's episode, we have Ashley Wilson. She's a marketer who has spent the last decade working in San Francisco's tech industry. In 2016, she founded Olivine Marketing, a boutique product marketing agency. Olivine has since evolved into a collective of product marketers, creatives, as well as a full-scale production company that helps global SaaS companies to tell their story better through cinematic videos, product marketing strategy, and sales. But before starting Olivine, Ashley worked as a marketing consultant for developer-focused tech startups, which is how our paths crossed. As Ashley and I grew closer, she shared more about her creative journey, which even included attending a performing arts high school, learning to play the jazz piano, and eventually launching her professional singing career. In this episode, we discuss her creative journey and how she manages to balance her tech marketing entrepreneurial life with her husband and new baby and her growing singing career as a performing artist. Welcome, Ashley, to the Art of Lost and Found podcast. I am so thrilled to have you on here, in part because you played a role in my creative journey. And I'm not sure if you're how aware you are of that, but maybe we can get into that later. But I have always admired your capacity for holding both versions of what's true for you. Because I met you and we connected in a very kind of high-tech startup, Silicon Valley, um, primarily surrounded by men and machines kind of a space. But then you also have such a long history of having a relationship with your creativity and putting in the time and work to develop that. And it's rare that you meet somebody that has both sides of, of themselves so developed. And so I was so excited when you said yes to joining this podcast, because I would love to better understand how you do that. Well, I'm very excited to be here. I love talking about this topic, um, just around creative recovery, going back to kind of your childhood stories and self, because there's so much um, to learn from that. And I think 
the more we talk about it, the more we open the door for conversations as humans. I find that when people hear like, oh, you also have this creative side. Oh, you're also an artist. Oh, oh, I do this. Or I, oh, I'm trying to make more time for this in my life. So I've been, I, I'm just happy to be able to kind of share that with you and 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 your listeners. So to to kick things off, let's give a little bit of context around what creativity means for you, both creativity and then also identifying as a creative person? I think creativity for me is um, pretty synonymous with that flow state um, where you're able to uh, be just very present, very, um, it tends to kind of be a little bit ethereal, just like in your body, in your mind, um, letting things come to you. Um, without a lot of filters. I think creativity is the expression of that flow state, that expression of the things that can't really be named in the universe. Um, those things that are that kind of higher consciousness us away from our computers and our to-do lists and our obligations and our go, go, go. Um, I find that it's creativity and accessing my creativity is the closest I can come to just staying present and in the moment. And I think in terms of creative identity, that is definitely more of the, the application of maybe how you spend your time as a creative. So I think we all have a creative side. We all have a creative capacity. You could definitely apply creativity to anything that you're doing. But I think when you take on a creative identity, it is kind of in the more creative realm. I, I think of just maybe artistic or some sort of expression kind of in your day-to-day, week-to-week um, that it's actually applied to. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big part of what gets lost when people talk about creative identity is the part of it's an ongoing practice, right? People think of it as a characteristic. Like I have curly hair. I was born with curly hair. That's just a characteristic I have. I wake up in the morning, my hair's still curly, right? But when it comes to creativity, I think a lot of what is lost in that conversation is how much... Um, it's not just you have it or you don't, it's more you apply it and you use it and you build it or you don't. I think that's so true. I think that it's like innate to all of us. Um, I think that there is more, there are people who are, have been exposed to creativity at an earlier age, got the opportunity to express it at an earlier age. So I think it's a lot more comfortable easier to access. Um, but I think it's definitely innate in everyone. And I think you're right that it's, it kind of dies a little bit if we don't tend to it. It's like a plant. I can see all your beautiful plants um, on the video. It really is, you know, it's not like the plant goes away. It's still a plant, but we do have to water it. We have to tend to it. We have to give it the sunlight. So I find that I, I try to think of it as, you know, tending to my garden inside. I love the metaphor of, of the plants also. And I'm thinking just, 
just last night, I came back to my apartment after not being here for several days. And there's one of these plants that requires a lot of attention and water. And when I walked in, it was completely wilted. And I immediately rushed, got some water, put it in, kind of softly talked to the plant, like, come on, you're so resilient. You always come back after I neglect you. (laughs) And this morning I woke up and yeah, she was happy again. I gave her what she needed and she rose to the occasion in all of her glory. So that metaphor fits really well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned about the role of being exposed to creativity Um, or creative exposure. And I think also in tandem with that is creative encouragement, right? You can be exposed to it and then not encouraged. And that can be just as damaging, if not more so than never being exposed. So take us back a little bit to young Ashley, who I imagine because you, you know, we'll get into your performing arts um, childhood and sort of how, how you got in that trajectory. I imagine that your family was supportive, but I would love to dive into how your creativity first surfaced in your, in your childhood, anything that you've been told or anything that you remember, even from your first person experience. And then if you could carry that forward into how your family or your environment was either supportive or, or hindered your creative development. Yeah, I think it's such a great question to be able to go back and kind of trace your own history and ask yourself those questions. Um, So I, my kind of first memories of creativity or exposure were um, getting into dance. So I apparently was dancing all around the house and singing too. Um, And at four, I guess I asked to be put into dance class, um, three or four. So I started going to ballet class at that age. Um, And then from there, just got really drawn into the performing arts and just into music, playing music. I think I started, I asked to play the violin at like age six. So I started taking violin lessons um, and the dance just sort of took off. I started going to dance like five days a week when I was maybe seven or eight um, and started doing competition dance and um, just kind of followed that path. Uh, And then I ended up going to performing arts high school um, when I was 13. I think for me, it was just like an overwhelming, um, clear desire, (laughs) path, interest. I think I was immersed in that world and it was so great because it fed so much, but I definitely got introduced to, and doing competitive dance, like introduced to competition really, really young, which I think for my personality, I was always, I think, looking for like the sign that like, I should do this professionally. Am I good enough? And I think that I told myself a story early on, like, oh, I don't think I could do this professionally. Oh, it's so competitive. Oh, I don't. I think I I developed tough skin, but underneath it was really hard for me. And so I think that I told myself like, okay, well, eventually you're going to have to leave this behind. Eventually you're going to need to get, you know, figure out what you're going to do with your life. Because like, if you were the best of the best, then it would be clear that you should do this professionally. I was holding myself to such a high standard that when I look back at it now, the fact that I at 15 told myself like, yeah, 
you just shouldn't be a professional dancer. It's too late. That's insane to me now that I was saying that at 15 and 16, you know, like to, to have already put those limits. Where, where do you think that came from? Well, I think it does go back to my parents. I think that they were supportive of what I wanted to do, but again, like they weren't professional, you know, artists by any means. I think that, you know, there was a real emphasis on work, job, money, needing money. Like, you know, both my parents had good jobs, but we didn't have like a ton of money or, um, you know, it was kind of clear, like, well, you need money to live. And um, so I think there was a very practical side that I picked up um, that I think drove me. I think too that my parents were, I think I was very independent and I think that they let me be very self-directed, but that also meant that they weren't coming to me with ideas for my life. So I think in some ways I felt a little bit alone. I don't want to like blame my parents and I know how hard it is to balance that sense of letting your child figure it out. And I think my parents did a great job of not pushing an agenda on me. But I think that came with a negative side of me feeling like, oh, I would have to figure it out all on my own. And, and, and that's true. But at 15 and 16, that seemed so daunting, so overwhelming that I just was like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I, I, sh- I don't think I should do it. After you finished high school and the performing arts and you'd already made what sounds like really clear decisions and judgments about what you are capable of in the professional space, how did you then make your way into something that see, that is on the surface so seemingly different, which is Silicon Valley and technology and like just so many men sitting down in front of their machines. It's, it's something that you talked about dance and singing, which is such an embodied experience to go into a space that oftentimes feels really disembodied. How did you make your way there? And what, what was it that drew you to that? Yeah, I love, I, I love that question, actually. I love how you've, you've framed that because I think I come back to that a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that today. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after my, about when I was a junior, I started to get really into creative writing. So um, I, I was always, and when I was an eight, I either wanted to be an actress, a Broadway performer or a writer. So I always loved writing and I always did a lot of writing and I was a huge, huge, huge reader. I still am. So writing kind of that solitary side, that kind of communion with myself was almost sometimes more powerful than like the performing side or the, I think I really loved the, like the lead up to the performance, but I didn't love, love, love performing. It's kind of like a nice to have or like, that's great. But I really loved the process before it. And I loved the rehearsals and learning and the skill building. And, and then when I think about what I did as in the arts, it's like never actually about the performance. So I think writing was a really natural fit of just building 
a story. And I had a really fantastic creative writing teacher and a really great creative writing group for my junior and senior year. And I decided, again, I told myself like, oh, I can't do creative writing as a career. Like, as I also didn't know anyone who was a professional creative, but my mom, who's a journalist, um, she's a broadcast journalist. And I was like, okay, I could do um, print journalism. That's like, I know I could get a job. That seems very practical. I would still do writing. I would, and I was super curious about everything. So I was like, that seems like a perfect fit. Um, so I applied to journalism schools and I was like, okay, that will work. I ended up going to Indiana University. I lived in the arts dorm. <laughs> the majority of my friends are all, all musicians and pursuing, <laughs> and my roommate was a dancer. And so it made, you know, obviously perfect. I was like, I think at that point I was already becoming like a shadow artist, yeah. as, um, you know, in the artist <laughs> way. Yeah. Even though I was such an artist, I almost left that part of myself behind when I went to college. Like people didn't even really know that I was like such a serious dancer or singer. And I think because I wasn't pursuing it as a major, I told myself then it started of like, uh, okay, you're not real anymore. You're leaving that behind, you know? And um, so I ended up getting into arts. Of course I did arts, arts journalism. I was the arts editor of the newspaper. And so I found a way to like stay super connected I ended up doing an internship at Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival in the marketing department um, at the end of school. And then I moved to San Francisco with the intention of working at the San Francisco Ballet um, in arts marketing. I was like, okay, arts marketing is pretty cool. I kind of had learned like, I don't really wanna do journalism. And, and it was 2008, 2009, media landscape was changing so much. I knew that getting a job was gonna be hard pay wasn't great. I didn't really want to move to like a tiny town and work my way up. Um, so I was like, okay, arts marketing could be a path. So that was my plan. And then um, pretty much the same week that I was interviewing at the San Francisco Ballet for like an associate marketing position, I met the recruiter at a company called Sauce Labs, which was a tech company. And we met at a coffee shop. We just started chatting. I told her my life story. We talked about my family. We just like had this great just chat. And she was like, you should come interview. You should just come meet our CEO. We're looking for, you know, an office kind of events manager. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about this world of Silicon Valley. <laughs> I didn't even know that was in San Francisco. I don't even know technology. I I didn't know any software engineers. I didn't know any computer scientists majors. I mean, I, I didn't know anyone in that world whatsoever, but I was very curious. Like I'm a curious person. So I kind of just followed the thread where I was like, I need a job. And I went to the interview and that was my like, kind of like life-changing moment um, because I met John Dunham, who, you know, the CEO of Sauce Labs. And yeah, that's our point he, of connection. <laughs> and yeah. And he asked these five questions about life and I opened up and I talked and I left being like, what is this world? Like, I kind of know what this arts marketing world's going to be. What is this other world? And I think because I was in San Francisco newly. I mean, I've been in San Francisco for three months. I moved without knowing anyone. I just moved on a whim. I was in this super open state of just like, let's see what happens. 
So it happens when you follow your curiosity. Exactly. So you follow, it opens you. And I think at that point I had sort of had this non-linear thing where I was comfortable with like, well, I don't know. I keep like, I have a lot of interests. Like I used to be this artist and then I was this journalist and now I'm going to like maybe do tech. I don't know. Let's see what happens. And I ended up like two weeks later, I, the same week, I did not get the job at the San Francisco ballet. I got the job at South Slabs and I started and that led to, you know, six years of super intense, full-on startup life and, and obviously grew a lot in my career. Um, but I think that, that leads me to the breaking point. Uh, (laughs) Before we go deeper into your, uh, turning points or your breaking point and reinvention point, I will share that one of the most impactful conversations potentially that I've had in my life and certainly, you know, in the last several years was a conversation that you and I had when mm-hmm. I was making some decisions about the direction that I wanted to move into next. And you told me you were such a wonderful, you know, I think we hired you as a consultant or something, but I thought of you much more as a mentor, <laughs> just kind of helping aim me in the right direction. And maybe you're bringing in some resources to kind of support, but you said something along the lines of, you can do this if you want. Like you can be a VP of marketing. You can do that. That's not beyond what you're capable of, but do you want to? Because find a VP of marketing, look at them. Do you want their life? And it was this really confronting moment of, of, it was almost embarrassing that I hadn't considered that I was just like, to the next goalpost. I need to just keep getting better. I'm climbing this, this staircase. So of course I'm, I'm going to continue. What do you mean? I'm, there's other staircases? But that wasn't mm-hmm. something that was in my field at that moment. And even though you were you know, helping me in my role, you created enough space in the way that you were, were showing up for me to allow me to fill that space as a person who had real desires and a real identity that was separate from this job. This job was just part of what I was doing. So I always ask myself when I'm thinking about making a shift, I I ask myself, remember what Ashley said, look at somebody who's further along, do you want to be them? And if the answer was a no, because in that case, I didn't even miss a beat. I was just like, oh, hell no. I don't want to go to board meetings. And I do do remember stuff. that. Like, <laughs> no, that sounds like the worst. I don't even want to know how much money they make. It's not worth it. And it was just yeah. such a confronting and revealing um, reflection that you offered me that I have taken with me and carried forward into all of my major decisions. So uh, I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I think you know, I had a similar light bulb moment in 2012 when we, I was um, running marketing, but, you know, had not run marketing before. And we were trying to bring in a, a boss for me, a head of marketing. And the person we brought in, I remember walking into the conference room and had this such a strong flash of, I don't want that to be me in 10 years. And it was such a like, oh shit. So what am I going to do? Like I'm on the path for that. And I think 
So I'm, I'm, that has always stood out for me. And I'm, I'm really glad that I shared that with you and that you, you had that same like pause because the intuition, the signs, our bodies, it's telling us what, what, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And I think particularly on creative paths, and entrepreneurial paths and paths that don't have a plan, that voice is hard to hear. Um, but so much of the creative path is the intuition. It is the inner guide. And so it's like the more you can just be quiet or you don't even have to be, it's just like, don't ignore it. At least acknowledge it, at least question it, at least hold it up in the light and be like, hmm, what is that saying to me? Because so much of too, going back to childhood, it's, you know, you're taking in all these signals of the people around you and your environment and your parents, and you're trying to make um, a model for what your future can look like. And sometimes, and only you can know what your future holds. And sometimes we really drown out that inner sound for the model that we've created. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you reach that confronting point in your tech career? And what, what happened? Like what broke that or what changed that put you in a position where you had an opportunity to essentially reconfigure your life in a different formation? And then how did you navigate that? Yeah, for me, um, 2014 was the pivotal year. Um, so I'd been at SAUCE for almost five years at that point. And I, um, we had a lot of personnel change at the company. The culture got pretty toxic for a little while. And I think that that opened the door just for me to ask myself, like, am I happy? I am really feeling stressed all the time. Um, I think it was just, you know, partly just crazy startup life. But I think also the company was changing. So it was an opportunity to really say, is this still working for me? I, um, that was the starting point in the spring. In May, I took a trip to Hawaii and I saw an Ayurvedic practitioner. And I went to her and she like took one look at me basically and was like, if you stay on this path, you are gonna develop a serious disease. Like, I can just tell you that now, like I had a terrible sinus infection. I just, my body was just saying like, you're done, you're done. You need to do something different. You know, the body doesn't lie. So after that, I started to implement like diet changes. So it turns out like I'm lactose intolerant. Nope, I'm gluten sensitive. <laughs> Many things that I just did not know. I was working with a leadership coach who really turned into a life coach um, through Sauce Labs. And she was incredible. Like I did to you, she did to me of just like, you don't have to do this. Like what else could you do? And that's where I like opened up that like, well, you know, I used to, I used to do art stuff. Like, did you know? <laughs> Cause I, nobody at my company even knew, like I had, I like to say that like I had lobotomized a whole life, you know, and everyone just knew me as the head of marketing and the, this, and like, and just my personality too, is to like, try to keep it all together. Like, so my team just didn't even know that I was like struggling and stuff. I think I was carrying a lot of that 
Santi knew, of course, my husband <laughs> couldn't hide it from him. But um, that summer of 2014 just really opened the door for me to, I started, I did the artist way. Um, I got into meditation. Those were the two kind of actions that I took. I took a writing class that summer. I really went back to my childhood and I said like, what did I used to do when I was young? And I, the artist's way was so powerful. Um, if people are not familiar, it's, it's really like a 12 step recovery program for creatives. And I, I, I loved the morning pages, um, you know, the three hand, the three pages of freehand because that paired with the questions that she asked in the book really helped me go back and say like, why did I develop all of these negative stories? Where did they come from? And then, you know, she has a lot of questions in the book of like, what would you do if you had no fear? And so really going back to like voicing, you know, like one of the first things I did is I wrote like, I would have a jazz band. <gasps> I would sing in a club. And like, to just to write those down, I remember yeah. feeling so scared. <laughs> Mm, what did you, you know, what, was, what was the fear? Like, let's go into the fear a little bit. Do you know the source yeah. of that? I think that there was, I think probably being in tech, especially, and being so in that analytical, male-driven, um, money-driven, success-driven environment, that to say something like, I would love to sing, feel, felt frivolous. It felt childish. You know, to go back and say to myself again, like, oh, I'm too old now. I'm too old. And then I had to be like, wait, wait, wait. I was saying that at 16. Yeah. There's no way I'm too old. It's like, <laughs> that's a story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, and I think too, just being so out of that world to think that like I could enter that world again, but also, yeah, what would people say? Like I had, when I was really exploring that in the fall of 2014, I had left SAS Labs and I was doing consulting. So I was really wearing like this marketing hat and I was getting hired by very technical startups with like very technical products and like, mm -hmm. oh, I can speak like that ours. language. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the idea of that compared to this artist self was so at odds with each other in my mind that I was like, Ooh, how would I even make that? But I, the desire was so strong to like start exploring it more that it was almost like it had, it kind of came out of like, I can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. It, it's so interesting how we have such a similar store, like such a similar theme of how we stuff our creativity, but it always comes back out. And even these, these tech guys who so many people assume don't have um, reverence for the creative process or more of these artistic pursuits, you see those guys at Burning Man and they go wild. Like they totally. have it also. You know? Everyone does. <laughs> it's like, it's been, it's been. But it's the space. It, yeah, it's the space. space, like Burning Man is the space where it's like, you're like, let your freak flag fly high and proud. That is the ethos yeah. of this event. And so it's encouraged that if you aren't leaning into your creative, playful, curious side, 
you are the strange one, right? Yeah. Because so many people yeah. are letting themselves dive into that experience. And it's because the, the container and the environment is primed for that. So I think when we have these types of conversations, it's so revealing for people because then they start thinking about, oh, what, what were those things that I was telling myself? Why was Burning Man such a transformational experience, but I've never felt anything like that before, right? Like yeah. so much of it, I think, comes down to honoring that part of ourselves that is different and weird and likes to be in our bodies and experiencing new things and expressing ourselves. And there's something that is so transformational about that, but it's scary because it doesn't fit into like, this is what it looks like. And this is what I can expect from it. You know? Yeah. That's, I think that there's, there's something to be said for when we put on those identities, when we're just starting to kind of show our maybe true selves, our authentic selves, it's like, we can't go from zero to 100. And so you kind of put on enough of an identity change that feels safe still that's like and I think that there's that that's like that's good it's like you, you kind of you want people to take baby steps in many ways you know I think you need to it's such um a recovery process from so many years of story shame that you need to adapt to kind of like it goes back to even what you're saying of like creativity is I mean you think of it as like kind of this living breathing you have to tend to it you're trying to get to the place where you're integrating and it's an integrated part of your life versus like you, you know a switch it's on now I'm creative now I'm this it's like so the integration process takes a while you know and it takes different forms it's like I feel like I'm it's been six and a half years now. And I still feel like I'm, since I, you know, kind of began my creative transformation <laughs> and uh, my recovery, I've been in recovery for six and a half years. And um, I, I feel I'm like actually, in many ways, I've been in recovery exactly. for six years. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm just still sometimes at the very beginning. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how you went from realizing that you needed to make a shift and your body really coming online and clearly saying, this is not viable for you anymore. You keep on this path, you're gonna, you know, death by a thousand wounds kind of a experience is coming for you. So when you had that transformation and where you, when you were kind of, or sorry, not transformation, the realization, and you were confronted with the disconnect in your life, how did you move through that process of getting to a place where you are now, where you have just as much of the, the business, the entrepreneurial, the being in Silicon Valley, being very engaged and involved in that world. But then, you know, I've seen you perform on stages with your jazz band. I listened to your album. You have launched another album. You're, you know, in a very different kind of relationship with those different aspects of your personality. So can you bring us into how that happened? And then we can discuss um, briefly about how you maintain that equilibrium when you have these two 
distinct sides that you could easily sort of slide off into either world and lose an essential part of of your whole identity. Yeah, I I think for me, I needed to, and what I did was I kind of got some people to keep me accountable <laughs> on my creative side. I, um, you know, started, I got a, a singing teacher, a jazz, professional jazz singer teacher. I, some little voice inside of me told me that I should play piano, which didn't really make any sense because I'm like, I want to be a singer, but I got a piano teacher who, of course, he's my my greatest mentor, Art Koo. He ended up producing my album. He helped me pull my whole band together for my album. He's He helped me discover that I was a songwriter. I didn't know that. Um, and so having those people and then kind of taking the steps to like each month, each, you know, just like, what can I do to move this thing forward? Um, but really when I got so scared or I felt like I can't do this, it helped that like, nope, I got to go to my lesson now. Oh, nope. I've got somebody asking me, Hey, what, what's going on? When's your next gig? What's your thing? And it, and, and performing was another mechanism for that. Like forcing myself to, to be out there singing, getting gigs. It was, it was a way to say like, no, you're doing this for real. Like you are. And not for real. I mean, there was the sense of you're doing this for real of like, wow, you're going to pursue this, but more like, no, you're going to bring this back into your life. And for me, it had to kind of be at this big kind of public, this is real, because I think my tech marketing stuff was was such a big part of my life that I was like, I need something equally on the other side. Otherwise, I'm I'm just not going to do it. And then I got to the point a couple of years in where I was like, okay, I want these to be integrated. So I think the big shift for me was to um, say that I'm not going to work full time. I need to make enough income um, as a consultant to be able to not work full time on this so I can invest in my music and I can make time for it. And obviously like creating an album is expensive. Like I need to be able to pay for that. So the big shift on my business side was to move to a retainer model for all of my clients and not hourly to start an agency where I could do retainer models, bring on other people. It wasn't just Ashley as the consultant. It's Olivine, which is my agency. Um, and I made the deliberate choice to say like, how could I make Olivine feel like me? And how can I find other people who feel like me? It's been a way to find like, like-minded people who are like, okay, yeah, I, I like, there's the practical side of like, I need to pay my bills. Um, and being a full-time artist is just nearly impossible in San Francisco. You know, you have like, I don't know any full time, I know a few full-time artists who, but they gig a lot. And obviously with the pandemic, that's had a huge negative impact on everyone scrambling to figure things out. But I think, but, but I think, yeah, just going back to your quite long-winded way of saying that kind of had to make the conscious choice that like, this is real. So I'm going to invest in it and I need to find a way to invest in it. So I need to orient my life so that I can financially support myself. I can emotionally support myself yeah. um, and yeah. make it work. The creative wayfinding. I mean, that's yep. my, 
my story of kind of finding my way to a place where I could merge all of the different things together was long and challenging and disorienting and so many moments of insecurity and looking around and, and to your point, not seeing the models, not seeing yeah. somebody else who had done it. But then to your point now, maybe that's not the part you get to see. Maybe that's the part you get to discover, right? Like if yeah. it's underneath and inside all of these people in a tech marketing uh, agency, like why, yeah. why do we have this assumption that it doesn't exist unless we can see it up front and center? Right. Totally. And I think the process of figuring out how do I do that? How do I yeah. go part time? How do I staff up? How do I build a culture and a brand that really honors the values of what's most important to me? That takes a ton of creativity. Right. That's it takes, and it takes it, <laughs> but it takes a ton of time. And I, I think it also takes a ton of like challenging, insecure, what am I doing? This is painful moments. And I think that that's the part that people, you know, like they can see me as like, well, you launched your album, you like did it for real. Now you're just a singer and you have this marketing and like, you just don't know about like the six years of like therapy and security, like, you know, the low moments, like really just having to confront those painful parts of yourself, the things you don't like, you only see the shiny, you know, output, which, and I think that the more we can talk about the behind the scenes, the more accessible it becomes. We will self-sabotage so quickly and we will take input, especially from people that we trust or that even if they don't mean to be second guessing us, sometimes we take it that way. So you have to go back to your own internal, like whatever you need to do to hold strong and steady because it will be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a, a quote somewhere. It might've even been on Debbie Millman's podcast about, or Brene Brown's podcast, but of the people who tell you it's, that's not going to work, they haven't done it. Like they haven't yes. done the thing Thank yet. You. They're just, they're Thank not, you. the way she says is like, they're not in the arena right? They're in, this, in the spectator seats. They're in the nosebleed section. Like if, if somebody has been in the arena, they don't tell you, you can't do that. No. They're like, oh, do it. It's going to be, yeah. you should do it. What do you need? Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. Or are you up for yep. the journey? Cause it's going to be hard, but it's doable. Right. Yeah, but there is so no right. like shutdown. That only comes from the people who are outside looking in that comes from the periphery. Yeah. Right. And that's not yours to take on. So you are so right on that. Yeah. Well, I wish it was mine, but I'm pretty well, sure it's Brene she Brown. Is, she is. She is so right on that. <laughs> yeah. She's got a lot of words of wisdom. Um, yeah. But speaking of words of wisdom, the audience for this podcast are people who are on their own creative recovery journeys. So do you have any advice or recommendations or things that you wish that you would have known at an earlier stage in your journey that you could could share with the audience? Yeah, I have a lot. I feel like so much of my journey was helped by so many people and resources. And I remember really seeking out so many resources to just not feel alone. So I think 
if I had to pick probably the top like four or five, <laughs> sure. um, I think getting um, a life coach or therapist could be both, could be either or, um, is so helpful. I actually think doing both is, is ideal. Um, and maybe you can find a life coach who is also skilled in psychotherapy who can, but I, I think just it's such a um, recovery process, as we've said, and, and it's painful at times and you need the support and having somebody who's just in your corner is really, really powerful while you're also like learning things about yourself and your past. So that, that would be the first one, getting some paid support, not just your friends. Cause I think you need somebody who's objective and yeah. will just Who doesn't listen. know your story. And, and also I think no. what's so important in those types of relationships is there one way, right? Yes. Like they are there to support you. You don't have to ask how their day was. You don't have to remember to totally. like say something about whatever they mentioned last time. Like they are there yep. for you and the dynamic is really clear. Um, so I think that's an important piece of hiring a professional rather than just finding an accountability buddy in your friend group. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a very powerful tool to use. I think, um, a couple of books, the artist way was super powerful. I think it's like, should be required, re required reading for anyone, not just creative, not just artists. It's like the artist way title is misleading because it's really for all humans and following those steps are, is really useful. Um, I think a couple of other books like Big Magic by um, Elizabeth Gilbert and her corresponding podcast, um, Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. He's a Quaker teacher, philosopher. It's a beautiful kind of meditation on just like how we lose those, those, those yearnings as a kid, those things. So it's, it was, it was helpful to, to read his journey of going back to, to his life. And, and he's in his eighties now, I think. So he has a lot of wisdom. Um, so books and podcasts. And I think the third thing is going back to that like accountability and maybe another angle of that is to like share with people close to you what your desires are and what you're doing. Because I think it's easy to hide, to be scared. And once you start sharing it, yeah. you, you find the support that you need. Yes. Yes. And this, people this are this actually quick to support example. you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, exactly. It's like, put it out in the universe yeah. and put it out to your, your people and just see what happens. Don't hide from it and don't hold it in. Yeah. And, and to your, to your point earlier about kind of the baby steps and needing to feel safe in the process. I mean, I'm an example of that right now with, I just reached out to maybe 20 people saying, hey, can I interview you? I'm trying to put this thing together. And everybody responded, yes. And I started Amazing. I started with everyone like, okay, this is an experiment. We'll see, we'll see. And everyone was like, okay, great. Worst case scenario, we have an interesting conversation. Best case scenario, you make a great podcast, right? Exactly. And so it gave me courage and momentum. And I felt like, oh, all of these, what if, what if, what if, like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to try it. And, you know, what if it's awesome? The last few years, you've been just, from what I've seen, is just really exploring 
these parts of yourself and bringing them out and and crafting a life that is reflective of of you in a more authentic way like you with and and I think when you reached out I I mean I knew you'd be great at interviewing because you've like lived it yourself and I think you're speaking about a topic that people really actually care about and they want to learn more of and I think there's a lot of us out there who are like what did they do to do that I want to do that you know and you having done that yourself on your own journey and especially moving to Spain and just really saying like I mean I I will not forget like I mean when I first met you you're like I'm going to Spain mm -hmm. I was like why you're like I don't know but I know I need to get there I've known for a really long time yeah and here you are yeah I did <laughs> and it. what has happened since you moved you know so you yeah. You are a perfect example of like, you're following, Elizabeth Gilbert says, uh, like following the thread, like the curiosity, the thread. And so you're following your threads. So I think you're a great example. I'm so I'm not surprised that people said yes, because it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, well you're doing it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think so much of it is around what you said earlier about tuning into yourself and what I think also is a barrier and what causes part of the separation and the stuffing of our creative identity is because we attach, we attach it to an outcome, right? Like you don't, when I was coming to Spain, I knew I was coming to Spain and you asked me what for, and I was like, I don't know yet. That's okay. Yep. I don't know yet. I'll figure yep. it out. You know, it's part of the wayfinding process. And now I know why I had to come here and everything sort of, was revealed to me at a later date. And even with your, your, how you started your creative recovery process by taking Absolutely. some classes, right? Like Absolutely. you weren't trying to be a professional. You were trying to reconnect you had, with that piece. If you had told me where I would be, <laughs> I would be like, holy shit, are you serious? That is awesome. Right? Like, I mean, I just truly, truly, truly could never have imagined it. I didn't even know I had never written a song before. I didn't even know. I remember when I was like, I'm going to learn jazz piano. I met a woman at a party and I told her that and she was a musician sort of, but she was just like, oh, that's so hard. I don't know if you're going to be able to do that mm. as an adult. Well, look at me now. You know, it's <laughs> like, I just was like, I remember thinking like, I'm not going to listen to her, um, but you just don't know. And that is such an important thing to share. Do not try to figure out where you're going other than like, well, once you start to see it, then you should commit. Because once I could see in a couple years in, like, I think I need to do this album. But that was in 2017. That was three years later. You know, it's like at the beginning, just follow the thread, take a step, have fun, explore, and look at it as like a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual recovery to just getting back to your true authentic self. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is 100% how I see it. And it gets so mucked up with all of this like professionalism and money and in a way that totally. distorts the space so much in, and it, it feels almost unique to this space, right? If you ask yep. somebody who, who works out a lot, if they're an athlete, they'll probably say yes, without hesitation. But if you ask them, are you a professional athlete? They'll say no. Like it's not an right. emotional thing. They clearly know the difference between an athlete and a professional. Professional gets paid yep. to perform for other people and 
you know, the other has nothing to do with other people or money. But when it comes to the creative space, we only call ourselves creative, you know, identified creatives if we've been validated by other people and we've been paid. (laughs) We are professionals. And then even then, we still usually have some kind of imposter syndrome. I don't introduce myself. I never yeah. say I'm a singer yeah. or, I, or a musician. It, that's always the second thing I say. I like, what do you do? I, oh, I run a marketing agency. It's only later they're like, wait, you're also, wait, you have an album on Spotify? I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I do that too. <laughs> but that, that's the same. I'm still working through that. Like, yeah, it's, you're so right though. It is this tension of like, yeah, I'm not really there yet. Ooh, I, I can't claim that. And it's like, at what point do you get to claim it? Yeah. I mean, I in very intentionally called this podcast the art of lost and found. It's not the art of arrival or having arrived. Right. Like those yes. are, that's a fundamentally different thing. And just because you're found doesn't even mean that you're close to the destination. It just means you know right. where you are. You are oriented yeah. to where you are, but you don't arrive. And I, I think of having a creative life in the same way as I think of having a healthy life. You don't mm-hmm. arrive. It's not a destination. It's a practice. It's a way of being. It's a lifestyle. And if you can, you know, I exercise in the morning now. I hate that shit. It's the worst. I hate like being sweating and huffing and puffing 15 minutes after I got out of bed. It sucks. But then during the day, my mind is much more clear. I'm able to focus more. Like I feel better. So I did something hard because it made my my life feel richer and more I felt more activated right yeah. so I think creativity has the same the same place in our lives but we just have so much shit that we smeared all over this thing that it's a matter of, of really uncovering those layers getting to the root of why am I telling myself all of these limiting beliefs like why am I putting the limits on myself And then once you see that, you don't, you can't unsee that. Then it's like, okay, what decisions am I going to make? And it's my belief, if you make decisions that move you away from that, your body kicks in and you have a health crisis, you have a breakdown, you develop anxiety and start having panic attacks, like your body comes back online. So I'm, I'm not surprised that part of your creative recovery was getting back in alignment with your body. Because once you honor your body, your energy is cleaner, your mind is cleaner, you actually have the capacity to go deeper into doing that hard excavating work that needs to be done. So I, after I left Silicon Valley and, you know, I had a, (laughs) I like tumbled out in a very ungraceful fashion, but I went to become a health coach because I was like, I need to get in my body. I completely neglected my body. And through that process, I discovered, oh, I I don't actually want to be a health coach, but I learned a ton of stuff that supports me in everything that I'm going to do moving forward. And I became a therapeutic art coach and I help other people discover what those blocks are and liberate themselves so that they can create the life that they authentically want to live. And it is so much more rewarding and enriching because it does feel like nourishment in the same way that being healthy requires you to be physically and mentally nourished. 
I think, you know, it's the same applies with creativity. You have to take care of, of you have to create the space and, and create the conditions so that you can enter that state of flow and you can really drop into the, the magic that is there. Yeah, perfectly well put. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the plan. <laughs> I love it. But is there, there anything that feels important to, to share that we haven't already spoken about? I think just focusing to, I love what you said about, you know, the, it's not about the arrival. And I know we have all that cliche. It's about the destination, but I think (laughs) in this context, it's very important to remember. I think, you know, I just, I just released a new song, um, on Spotify and it took me, I mean, I wrote that song in fall of 2018. I got it. Yeah. 2018 actually. Yeah. And I got it produced and recorded in 2019. I got it kind of finalized last summer and I only released it in February because I, I literally could not gather the courage. Oh wow! I mean, it was, yeah, I, I, I could say that it's like, oh, it was the pandemic. It was the, it was like, no, I, well, I also had a baby. Okay, no, I had a baby too. I had a, I was in a different headspace. I became a mother. Um, and so for months I had to put everything on pause, including my music stuff for like nine months. Um, I just didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to even think about it. But, but, but so I could say then for the last nine, you know, maybe she's 19 months. No, I'd say for the last like nine, nine, 10 months, I've been kind of just, okay, I really got to do that. I got to do that. And it's because I just, I went back to that same, those same stories, those same places. So I say that to just share that it's like a constant journey of building yourself up, telling yourself you can do it. You don't really arrive. You just keep going and you just say like, well, that's just part of my life now. And, and, and you look at the I look at those parts that are hard to see as like, okay, got to keep working through that. All right, let's use this to like, get over the hump. Come on, put it out there. You got, okay, you did it. You did it. You put it out there. <laughs> okay. 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 You got more. And I, and I have like, I have a mini album to put out. I have six other songs <laughs> to put out. And so I'm like, okay, now you've got to put out the rest. Come on, <laughs> do it, Ashley, do it. You got it. So I just want to share that, like the, 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 the true story behind what you see mm-hmm. on the social media and the, you know, the facade part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point of this podcast is really to, to show the, the man behind the curtain, right. That mm-hmm. it, it, Oz looks this magnificent, yeah. amazing place. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's some dude doing it all by himself behind the curtain, you know, creating this yeah. illusion essentially. Yep. But even in that, that iconic movie, it's so confronting. Like when they discover the guy behind the, the curtain, it is hugely confronting and disruptive, you know, and it's, yep. it's part of, that's part of the process. So my hope is that people will feel inspired and empowered to follow their creative curiosities because once you start down that path, things start revealing themselves to you. The path lays itself out for you as you're walking it. But it requires yeah. a, a surrender, a faith, this kind of dichotomy between a, a surrender and a commitment, <laughs> right? Like I commit to this experience, but I surrender to the things that I can't control. 
and you can't control what other people mm, think. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story and for allowing yourself to get so vulnerable and be so open about the like the real rawness behind the creative recovery process. I'm I'm hopeful that I mean I'm feeling inspired and curious and like I'm gonna go to Spotify right now and find find your music <laughs> and I'll link to it in the in the show notes also. Yeah, and and thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Oh, such a pleasure. I'm I might reach out for part two because I have so. Many I would notes. love that. <laughs> I would love it. Let's do it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for spending your your time with me and for being so generous around your experience and and cheers to paying it forward with me. Know that I have paid it forward um, and hopefully there will be, there's a long lineage of women supporting other women to live their truth, even when that decision feels scary and hard and unconventional. Well said. I'm really glad that we uh, got to connect all those years ago. And here we are. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Art of Lost and Found podcast. I hope that you are feeling inspired and empowered to go forth and explore your curiosity and creativity. As always, if you want any more information about any of our guests or the show notes or anything we discussed on today's episode, you can head over to www.brookeston.com slash podcast. Thank you so much and looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.